Say it again, Mark. Six. It's good to be up here. It's been a long time. It's kind of been at least a year and a half for me. I don't know. It's been a while. So I'm a little nervous. Forgive me. But it's good to be here and it's good to be talking with you. Um, if you don't mind, let's just stand for one second. And just one well, a few seconds. Okay. Let's let's just pray that this service would go the way that God wants it to go and that we would have soft hearts and be ready to receive his word. Father, we come before you today humble, and we ask that your spirit would move on us, God. We ask that you would have your way today, God, and that we would be ready to receive your word. We thank you for that word, God. We ask that you would soften our hearts so that we can receive it, and that we might be changed and made new and be ready to be made more like you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Go ahead and sit down. I hope you brought your paper Bible today, because there's nothing more fun to hear than the sound of paper Bible pages flipping. So, this week when I was studying, and just lately in general, it just seems like the last two or three weeks, I've been thinking about, you know, when you're a teacher, right, quote unquote, I'm going to put myself in quotes as a teacher, when you're a teacher, you end up focusing on these weird things, like God just, there's a line in one of my favorite songs that says, if you want to be like Jesus, you might have to flip some tables. And I just kept thinking about that over and over and over and over and over. It just like it kept coming back. And so I was like thinking about tables, right? So it's like, okay, I'm going to prepare my, my thing, my talk for Sunday morning for the first time in 18 months. And I'm going to talk about tables. It's kind of weird, right? But we do a lot of life at tables. We do, um, we teach our kids at tables. We, we have marital discussions at tables. Right? Late at night, when you're still mad, you talk about things at the table. We we make business relationships at tables in restaurants. We do homework at tables. We study at tables. We we do a lot of important stuff at tables. I propose to my wife right next to the table. I can tell you where it is in a restaurant that no longer exists. You go right through the main entrance of Mama Maria's, which is the second booth on the left, and the lady at the table right across from us. She's crying. But we do a lot of our lives at tables. The tables are, it's an important place for us. And I want to read to you today out of Matthew 21, if you have a paper Bible or a cell phone Bible, or a tablet Bible. You can flip there yourself. Matthew 21, verse 12. You know, give me a second. And the title of this section, at least in my version, which is NLT, is Jesus Clears the Temple. Jesus entered the temple, verse 12, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. You can see where I'm going with this table thing, right? Like I was like thinking about tables. And God just put this, this, this section of scripture, this, these two verses that I'm going to read on my heart. 
entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he said to them, The scriptures declare, My temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. And I'm not going to give you the historical background of like what's happening and what part of the temple they're in and the fact that they're like really far away from the actual entrance and they're, you know, because I'm not an expert in that. But what I can tell you is that God put this in my heart is that if you want to be like Jesus, you might have to flip some tables. And so the, so like when you, when you think about, right, like that, that's like the immediate first thought is like, okay, well, like, went to quote it. He went to like church, right? He's like, I'm going to flip this table over because something's happening here that's wrong. That does not mean that I want you to approach anyone after church and ask them to change the music or change the thermostat. Okay? That's not what we're talking about. You're not flipping over those tables today. That's not what I want. That's not what we're talking about. So it's not about coming to this church especially and talking about changing the thermostat or changing that we need to sing more of this type of song or we need to get a quartet which me and Jason are going to be the first two to apply. <laughs> and I volunteered him. That's not what I mean. And it, it, I'm not even talking about work, right? Because like at work, sometimes you'll catch something that somebody's doing that's wrong. And you might have to decide whether or not you're going to flip that table. There's, there's, there's situations at work where you might, and it might have to be a table that you're working on, right? Or you've been doing some sort of business practice that is not 100%. And God sometimes bothers you about it and you're just like, man, this is fine. I've always done it this way. I'm still a Christian. You know, it may be something that God's asking you to change at work. That's not what I'm talking about. I wish that was. It's not about at home. I don't want you to turn over your dinner table. That was great, dear. You know. I'm not talking about that. I'm not asking you to change something major in your home. It's not about public square. It's not about changing laws. It's not about picket signs. It's not, it's not what God put on my heart. It's not about going to the bank and flipping over the sugar like, well, he said like the money changers, right? Like, I don't know that much. I want a better deal on my mortgage. Flip over your table, mortgage guy. tables in your heart because where was Jesus when he flipped the table he was in the temple where's the temple now you're the temple I'm the temple 1 Corinthians 6 19 says don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God sometimes you're going to need flip the tables in your heart. And I'm not going to tell you what's wrong with your heart because I don't know, but I can tell you that there's always something wrong with mine. There's some, there's some corner of it that I'm trying to protect. Right? Because Jesus, he says, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. What are you allowing to steal a piece of your heart? to steal a corner of the temple 
know it's like super fantastic family awesome Sunday and your kids are going to have a great time because I know mine are in there in Camp Wilderness with Tony the Bear. <laughs> there, is, there is a weight to Scripture too sometimes and I don't want to weigh you down but I want you to take it seriously that you you are important. Your heart is important. The Bible says to guard it, actually. It says guard your heart. And you know, I don't know, what are you allowing to steal part of your heart? It could be work. It could be porn. It could be drugs. It could be alcohol. It could be relationships. It could be so many things. It could be something good. It could be a hobby that you're allowing to take over your heart. That you're allowing to kind of have to kind of, you're kind of allowing this thing to set up shop and sell things to you in the corner of your heart. And oh yeah, you're you know you're okay. This habit that you have isn't a big deal. You're letting it sell you a lie. This thing that you've allowed to set up shop. What are you allowing to to sell you the lie in your heart? And and I had to think about this too. So don't. Don't shoot the messenger, but I can guarantee you that there's something that you're, uh, because it happens, right? I always talk about in Catalyst Group with our college-age kids that the, the, the Christian walk is a graph, and it kind of it kind of goes up and down in this curve. You're going to have downturns, right? That's totally normal. It's okay. It is okay to have downturns. You're like, man, I am really in a Christian slump, right? Like, I don't really want to deal with God right now because he's infringing on these other, you know, I'm busy, I don't really have time for that, I don't want to be involved, I'm not putting the relationship first. That's normal, but you need to self-correct too. You don't want to just keep sliding downhill. So what have you allowed to, take, to turn your heart into a marketplace? Because ultimately we don't, and we can't, and it's not healthy, to have that going on when your heart is divided like that. It's not it's not a good situation. I want to turn to John chapter 2. You guys are like, what? He's got more than one verse? Oh yeah. Oh yes. And a whole year and a half to prepare. I have three verses. John chapter 2. In verse 13. And oddly enough, it's the exact same thing that we just read, but from a different person's perspective. And the reason that I'm reading it is because of that person's perspective and the way that it ended up being worded. And I'll just start. John chapter 2, verse 13. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and the cattle, scattered the money changers' coins over the floor, and turned over their tables. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, Get those things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. In Matthew, he said, a den of thieves, right? Like he's, he's recalling it a little bit differently when he's writing this down. And John says, a marketplace. And I kind of touched on both. 
already because I get ahead of myself because that's what you do when you come up here and you talk into a microphone. But that, that, that marketplace mentality of what's going to buy my attention today, right? What's going to buy my heart today? How much is my heart worth today? Is it going to be purchased by the guy at work who's a jerk to me and then ruins my whole day because I can't stop thinking about it? Am I going to sell out my heart to that today? Is it going to be ruined by the fact that I can't control myself when I'm in front of a computer screen? Or when I get done with work and I really want to drink, is it going to be, am I going to sell my heart to that today? Is my heart going to be a marketplace? Or is it going to be the temple? Am I going to value it that way? Because I can't emphasize this enough, you are valuable. just a person. You're not just a, just another number. One of our guys in groups said, I used to think that I was just like another number to God. Like I'm not even on his radar. Like I don't even register. I'm just a blip. There's so many of us. Why would he pay any attention to me? And I said to this person, and I, we often talk about this, that no, Jesus didn't just, Jesus did die for everyone. Okay. That happened. Because God is infinite, he can do that. He also is infinite in the way that he died fully for you. Fully for me. It's good. Because to him, it would still be completely worth it if it was only for you. Only for me. Only for the guy who said that. Only for the girl who said that. Who says that in their heart. And oftentimes we think that, we feel that way. Right? Oh, but this problem is not big enough to bring to God. I'm going to bring it to Bob at work. Well, I got news for you. Bob at work is a far distant second to the creator of the universe as far as being able to handle your problem, right? But we think that way. We don't catch it. You don't catch it. You just, you just, you're just like, oh, I'm going to breeze right by the whole creator of the universe thing and just go right to Bob. Because that makes more sense. And then when I run out of Bob's, I'm going to then maybe turn to the guy who can actually handle it. And you don't think about it that way. And it's funny to say, but... If you stop next time, you're going to go, oh, yeah, that's what I'm doing. I'm ignoring the solution just because I want to tell someone out loud about the problem. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? Don't let, don't let your heart become a den of thieves. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I'm not telling you that I think you're a bad person or that like I'm some bad guy who's like, you know, I got a bunch of guys with bandanas over their faces and swords in my heart all the time, swashbuckling away, doing thief stuff, right? That's not, that's not it. Don't, don't, don't allow outside influences. Don't, don't allow other people, don't allow life events to steal your heart. Don't, don't submit, don't subject your heart to becoming a den of thieves, to allowing people to steal it, because they can't, not really. Because if you're in the temple, right, and it says right there, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you? You have the power to resist that creator of the universe, the living God, has has decided, has, has chosen to take up residence in you, 
and in me. And that's a big deal. You have access to more than you think. Don't allow your heart to be stolen. Don't let things steal the real estate that God deserves in the temple. And like I said, it can be good things too. I mean, it can be hobbies. It can be kids. It can be spouses that you're giving too much real estate to. Because, I don't know about you, raise your hand if you're married, okay? We're just gonna take a quick poll. If you're married, raise your hand. Okay, oh no, keep them up. Because we're gonna do the put down thing, okay? Ready? So there's gonna be somebody who doesn't pay attention and keeps their hand up. I want you to keep your hand in the air if you've ever expected your spouse to do a job that only God can do. Ever, in the history of your marriage. Oh yeah, yeah, that's good. You guys are pretty smart. Keep your hand in the air if it worked. Wow, we're batting a thousand today. We do that, right? We place loads on people that they can't bear. Because ultimately, your spouse can enrich your life. Make it better, for sure. Have you seen my wife? She's a 10. Right? My life is rich. I have four kids to prove it. But if I place a load on her that's too heavy to carry, she can enrich my life, but she can't fulfill the desires of my heart. She can't. She's not God. And I try not to do that, but we all do that sometimes. It's normal. You can give too much real estate, not on purpose, but on accident, to something that can't carry the weight of what of the, of the they can't it can't carry the weight of the ass, if that makes sense. All right, one more verse. It's back literally two pages in my Bible, Luke nineteen. Luke chapter 19. And I'll, I'll start because it's a little bit longer of a read. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region and he had become very rich. Very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Yes, I do have the kids' Bible CD and songs <laughs> in my truck, and it's been there for at least five years. And I have all 24 songs thoroughly memorized. And Jesus said, for I'm going to your house today, or I'm going to your house today, or I'm going to your house today. <laughs> when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your house today. Now, like I said, I'm not Mr. History, right? But tax collectors, even now, are frowned on. Okay? We don't like really enjoy it when they're like, hey, we want we want to take like 12,000 of your dollars. And you're like, eh, 
really rather you don't. <laughs> this is a different scenario, right? Because they're collecting taxes for an oppressor of the people. These are not like, these are not like the IRS is gonna send you angry letters taxes. These are like, we're gonna throw you in jail or kill you taxes, right? Like pay up or else type of thing, okay? And Zacchaeus would have been disowned by the Jewish people. But I can't come up with a better word for it than that. You can see your pastor afterwards if you want further clarification, or Paul Rashke, or Mandy Esparza. <laughs> but he, I can't tell you how much the people would have really, really hated this guy. And he really wants to see Jesus. He's like, I can't, I'm not tall enough. I can't see past these people. There's too many people in the way. Forgive me for getting a little emotional, but sometimes this happens to me. There's too many people in the way. I'm not tall enough. I can't see Jesus. And what do you do when that happens? What do I do when that happens? So most of the time I turn around and kind of hang my head and walk away. Well, not today. Today I failed. I'm not tall enough to see Jesus today. Didn't meet the mark. There's too many people in the way. So Zacchaeus does what? He climbs a sycamore fig tree beside the road for Jesus was going to pass that way. He gets up. He raises himself up a little bit and gets a different perspective. I'm not trying to put things in scripture that aren't there, but sometimes we need to do that. Sometimes you need to put in a little effort and climb the tree. And sometimes I do too. Because when you're down on ground level, in the thick, in the midst, in the, in the, in the big part of the problem that you're currently going through, right? You're like in the thick of it, the worst part. There's too many people in the way. I can't see Jesus. I'm too short. I'm too weak. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough strength. I didn't get enough sleep. I'm not strong enough. I can't see Jesus. Things are too hard. I can't see Jesus. My life is falling apart. My kids aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. I have no control. I can't see Jesus. There's too many people in the way. <laughs> Climb the tree. It's right there. You can see the direction Jesus is walking. So can I. A lot of times. It doesn't mean it's the direction you or I want to go. But you know where he's headed. Climb the tree. Get a different perspective. Take a step back. Talk to her brother or sister from church and not bother at work. Because Bob's not going to fix her problem, but God can. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Sometimes, a lot of times, every time. That something like this happens to you, happens to me. God will call you by name. Amen. Paul, get out of the tree. I need to be a guest at your home today. <laughs> Let me into the temple. 
Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, God's house? I need to be a guest at your home today. Make room for me. Come down from the tree. You don't need to stay up in the tree. And you're kind of like, well, I don't know. I can climb up. I'm like a cat. I can climb up, but I don't really know how to climb down, God. You've seen these legs are really short. My name is Zacchaeus. There's a song about me. I don't know if you've heard it. They call me the wee little man. <laughs> Meanwhile, oh, I'm sorry. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. And sometimes, sometimes we react that way, sometimes we don't. You know, sometimes you don't, at least sometimes I don't have enough juice left, right, to be like, oh, yay, hooray, God, you know. But the people were displeased. Are you ready? You guys haven't done this in a while. I'm going to say the word to everybody. And you guys are going to just say what I tell you to say, right? But the people were displeased. Everybody say haters. Haters. Oh, man. <laughs> They're always there. They're just waiting, right? They're like, come on. Can't you finally be happy for me that something good happened? You're going to find that you have more haters when you're succeeding than when you're not. You know, and I'm I'm seeing this more and more. You're like, can't you, like, you help me. You help me get to this point. And then you finally start doing what you need to be doing and you find out that the person that helped you get there is not happy for you. Because now there's nothing left to teach. You're not under them anymore, right? The friends that helped you get to where you are, they don't want to be your friends anymore. They're ready to be displeased. There's always somebody who's waiting to be displeased with you. But the people were displeased. The haters were displeased. He has gone to the house of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. So I'm like, why is he going to that guy's house? That guy's a chum. He overcollected on me last week, and I know it. Right? jumped down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy, but the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. They grumbled. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I know about my conversion story. And I would classify myself previously, before coming to Christ, as a notorious sinner. And those people, and we talk about this in group two, you'll hear me reference it Every time I come up here and teach, because I'm enriched by it just as much as our college age guys and girls are. I shouldn't call them kids, but that's how you know I'm getting old. College kids. To be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, 
I will give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. If we circle back around to what I was talking about earlier, and I'm going to be done early, as I often am, because I don't know how to talk for 45 minutes or an hour. <laughs> you know, if we circle back around, what's, what's happening, what happened right there is Zacchaeus has flipped the table in his heart. He's decided to make a change. I'm flipping over this table in my heart, this thing that I hang on to, right? Because when you're rich, you like being rich. I mean, people like money. There's nothing wrong with having a lot of money, but you get used to it, right? And he's like, I'm going to give half of it away, 50%. I'm going to give half of everything away, and then if I overtook from somebody, I'm going to give them back quadruple, not double, not triple, quadruple what I took. Four times as much. That's a lot. He's made a major change. He's flipped the table of the money changers in his heart. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be the true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Now, this last week at Catalyst, my main method of teaching is asking questions. I'm very annoying that way in small groups. Because my favorite thing to ask is why, right? There's a kid that comes. There's a guy. There's a man that comes. Not a kid. Not old. There's a man that comes to Catalyst. His name is Tyler. And he said to me, do you know that you sound like a two-year-old? Because all you do is say, why? And what I said to him is, you know, it's a little bit different here at this particular church. But by and large in life, people will never remember what you say. If I tell Randy something, or if I tell my wife something, or if I tell anybody anything, they're not necessarily going to remember it long term. Like if I tell Jason a life lesson, he's not going to remember it unless it somehow applies to him and he says it to himself. Mm -hmm. So I always say to the people upstairs, you will never remember what I say, but you will remember what you say. People don't remember what you say. They remember what they say. Because if it doesn't make it to them, right? If it doesn't make it to the if what I say up here doesn't matter, it matters if it makes it to the inside of you, and you say it, whether in your head, in your heart, or out loud, to yourself. If you're saying, yes, I get this, I've got a hold of this, and I can say it to myself, I understand it, and it's going to, it, then it will stick. So this week, someone upstairs, as we go upstairs on Thursday nights now, instead of down here, because it's more comfortable, apparently, they like the couches and stuff. We, 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 we broached the subject of, 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 we were talking about the parable of the, the 99 and the 1, right? There's 100 sheep, and the shepherd, one gets away, one gets lost on the mountainside, and he leaves the 99 to go and pursue the 1. And my question is, why? Why did he leave the 99 to go get the 1? Because he's still doing pretty good. I mean, 99% of your investments, I mean, you're, you're doing well. And you're just going to abandon the 99 and go look for the one? It's lion food, man. That sheep is done. 
I'll get a new one next year. These sheep make more sheep all the time. And so that's what, what we do up there is we ferret out the whys, right? Like why? Why did God, who, why did Jesus, who is the shepherd in the story, right? Why does, why does he leave and pursue the one? And we get to, okay, well, because every sheep is important. Well, why? Why is each sheep important? Well, because we all have a, you know, calling or whatever. God has a job that he wants each, each person to do. Why? And we get all the way down to, okay, well, it's because he loves me. Or he loves the sheep. Why does he love the sheep? Well, because everybody's got a job to do, right? Like, that's, he's always got a thing that he wants us to do. And like, no, he doesn't love you because you have a job to do, right? Because he doesn't love the sheep because the sheep has a job to do. Because he could get any other sheep to do that job. He could get a new sheep to do that job. Well, you know, and then it's kind of like, and I just stare at him blankly. <laughs> Owen calls it my poker face. I hate your stupid poker face. And we get all the way down, and then this, it was all guys this week. So this guy says, I don't know. I don't know why he loves me. I don't know why he chases me down when I leave. I don't know. I said, well, does he have to? No, he doesn't have to. The answer is always simple. It's because he wants to. He doesn't have to love you. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me because he can find someone else to do the job that he's asked me to do. There's plenty of capable teachers in this church that could step up here and talk today. He chooses you. He chose you. He placed you where you are. He made you a mom, or a realtor, or a banker, or a forklift operator. He put you where you are because he loves you. And he loves you because he can, because he wants to. And the thing that I kept saying over and over to myself, and I wasn't planning on talking about this at all, so whatever. The... The thing that I kept saying over and over to myself was, in my own head, I'm saying this to myself, don't you get it? He chases you down because he wants to. It's not an obligation. You can't fulfill the other half. You can't make yourself worthy of it. It's not possible. You can't make yourself worthy of God chasing you down. He did it before you were worthy. It doesn't matter what you did. He, he calls the tax collector out of the tree, the person that everyone hates. It doesn't matter what you did or what I did. It doesn't matter anything about your past. It doesn't matter anything about how bad you were or how distant you were or the fact that you said horrible things about God all the time and totally turned your back on. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. God is chasing you down because he wants to. Because he wants you. Not because he needs you, and not because he needs you to do a job. We have a great cleaning staff here, but he doesn't, he's not chasing you down because he needs somebody else to sweep or clean or teach or do Sunday school. He's chasing you down because he wants a relationship with you. Yeah. He wants to add you to the group. He wants you to, to be in full relationship with him. Because not only did he die for everyone, he died specifically for you.
died specifically for me. He's chasing you down. He's chasing you, the one sheep who got stuck in the brambles of alcohol or drugs or sex or broken relationships or whatever that you got stuck in because everybody gets stuck in something, mm -hmm. whether you've been a Christian your whole life or not. Because you can get stuck in here too or in here. God is chasing you down because he wants you. He won't, because he chose you. He decided to love you. Not because you're worth it. Not because I'm worth it. Because there's nothing we can do to make ourselves worth it. You, you, didn't, you didn't earn it and you can't earn it. It's a free gift. He's, he wants you. He's calling you down out of the tree. Let me be a guest at your house today. Actually, he says, I have to be a guest at your house today. So, all of that to say this, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. You can stand. I hope that you could be uplifted today by the fact that Jesus is asking you in a loving way to turn over the table in your heart. Because all of us, myself included, tend to guard a certain table in our hearts. No, this is my thing. This is my piece. This is, this is my table. This is my table, don't touch it. You can have the rest of my life, but not, not this one. I still want to exchange for turtle doves here. God, right? <laughs> Be encouraged. He's chasing you down because he wants you. That table's only getting in the way of what he has for you. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Yes, Lord. We thank you for your love for us and the fact